As we come now to God's Word, would you turn in your Bibles, please, if you'd like to read with me to the book of Hebrews in chapter 10. We'll be in Hebrews chapter 10 this morning. And before we read, would you please pray with me? Lord, this is, this is your holy word. Help us now to feel that holiness. And Lord, we ask for your grace. We submit to the spirit of grace. Now, would you lead us by your good paths? Would you teach us what is true? And would you increase our faith and devotion to you by these things? We ask for your help now in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the book of Hebrews in chapter 10. I'll start here in verse 26 and, and read through the end of the chapter here. This is Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 26. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by, those, by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God? and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. This is God's word. Now, we often begin here at Big Creek in a sermon just by diving right into the text we've just read together and unpacking it because we're here to really listen to the Word of God after all. 
But today, before I preach, I want to start off first with a personal note. This has been a hard week for me, a painful one. And the main reason why it's been so hard and painful is because this text is hard and painful. I could feel its sting like a scorpion. This is not the text that I would have chosen to preach. In fact, I tried very hard to distract myself from it. But here it is. This is the next section of the book of Hebrews as we read through, and we know that we need all of Scripture. We need to hear all of God's Word, and he says this to us. So here we are. Being a pastor... It can be a lot of hard work, but one of the great, profound benefits, I'm still stunned by this, is that it is part of my job to get to sit with the Word of God. I mean, who gets to do that? And while I admit that there are parts of the Bible that are difficult or challenging and that I still wrestle to really understand, usually, usually, when I'm with God in His Word, I find myself encouraged comforted. I find myself renewed in courage and hope and faith and love. Because when we come to God's word, this is one of his great profound gifts of love to us. He is speaking to us here, not just telling us what to do, but telling us who he is. When we come to his word, we see God our Father. When we come to his word, we see Christ our Savior. And when we come to his word, we see the Holy Spirit, our helper. Mm, so good. This week was still good. But it was a different kind of good. Good in the way that uh, Ipecac might still have good use, if that's even still a thing. My stomach, I'll confess, was a little unsettled. Uh, by this, the sword of God cut deep in my heart in a very, very personal way, which I'll share more about later. But as painful as this text has been for me, I think that is exactly what the author means to do to us here. You remember, we've talked about this before, that the, 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 in the book of Hebrews, we see a switching between wooing us and warning us. So the author is a little bit like a park ranger taking us through the forest, and, and, and he's just, I mean, like a park ranger is, just enamored with everything around and pointing out, you know, the redwood trees or the white-tailed deers, but then, but then the park ranger shifts and very sternly warns us against the grizzlies or the hidden crags, the caves that might be under our feet. This is one of those warning sections. And we recognize the voice of the park ranger here because we've heard him speak like this before in this book. It was now some time ago. But you'll remember back to chapter 6, which is just as chilling, the sentence, it is impossible for those who have fallen away to be restored again to repentance. Burr. 
And when we made it through that passage back in chapter 6, I was tired because it's an exhausting passage and just so glad to be done with it in some ways. But I knew that it was not quite done because this passage was still in front of us and now here we are. So here we are again in a warning. This particular warning is about apostasy. It's about apostasy. It's about apostates. And before we talk about who exactly these people, these apostates are, we need to talk just a bit about who God is. We see here aspects of God that are true even though we don't often like to look at them. So if you just scan through the text I read, you'll see some heavy words connected to God here. Words like judgment, fury, consuming fire, punishment, vengeance, destruction. One of the unnerving sentences to me is verse 31. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. These are the doors of hell itself, and we can even see God's hand in it. Now, we have to be careful not to let things like this push out other truths about God. We know that God is love. God in the whole of the Bible is abounding in faithfulness and forgiveness and in grace. And for some, it is the best thing imaginable to fall into the hands of the living God. But it's also true that for others, it is the worst thing imaginable to fall into the hands of the living God. The author here quotes in sections from from one of the songs of Moses in the book of Deuteronomy. Moses was a singer, I guess. He would have fit in well at Big Creek, I think. Uh, but the song of Moses, this one in particular, is one that he gave to the people of Israel at the end of his life. Um, they're ready to walk into the promised land that God had given him. So here comes Moses, the old park ranger, and he calls this song... Uh, not a wooing, but a warning. He says, this is something you need to take to heart as he reflects on the Lord's love, but also the people's response to that. Uh, here, a part of it, it's a very long psalm, Deuteronomy chapter 32. Uh, let me uh, read beginning in verse 10. He found him, that is, God found Israel. God found Israel in a desert land and in the howling waste of the wilderness. God encircled him. He cared for him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, spreading out the, its wings and catching them, bearing them on its pinions, the Lord alone guided him, and no foreign God was with him. He made him ride on the high places of the land, and he ate the produce of the field, and, and he suckled him with honey out of the rock, and oil out of the flinty rock, curds from the herd, milk from the flock, and the fat of lambs, rams of Bashan and goats, and the very finest of wheat, and you drank foaming wine made from the blood of the grape. But Jeshurun, that is Israel, Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. 
You grew fat, stout, and sleek, and then he forsook God who made him. And he scoffed at the rock of his salvation, and they stirred him to jealousy with strange gods and abominations. They provoked him to anger, and they sacrificed to demons that were no gods, to gods they have never known, to new gods that had come recently, whom your fathers had never dreaded. You were unmindful of the rock that bore you, and you forgot the God who gave you birth. can summarize Moses' song this way, that you, Israel, have been the center of the care of the Lord, and you left him. So what will become of you now? That's why the author of Hebrews draws from this, because he's provoking a similar sort of thing in his listeners. He's saying to them and to us, that if you persist in such a way, in a particular way, there will no longer be an acceptable sacrifice for sin for you. Sin will become the death of you, and all that will be left in the end for you is a fearful expectation of the judgment of God, of the consuming fire of God, and his righteous wrath against sin. He says it with the sternest face then, I don't want this to be you. So is it you? Are you one of these? Are you one who has become fat on the mercy of God and left him? Are you an apostate? In order to know, we need to look at what an apostate is. The word is not used here, but this is what is being talked about. We can see it even from the beginning. Look at verse 26. Let me read it again. For if we go on sinning deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that, my first thought is, oh, no. Oh, no. That's me. I mean, I can try to feign ignorance. Officer, I did not see that speeding sign. I didn't know. Uh, But we know when we do that, not just about speeding, but really about any sin, we're only fooling ourselves. Most of our sin, not all of our sin, but most of our sin, we do on purpose. It does not just happen. It is not just an accident. It is not just because we're having an off day. Our sin is willful and deliberate. We choose to sin. Our sin is even ongoing. We do some of the same things again and again. If we never repeated the same sins twice, we would run out of sins before we were even old enough to drive. We know that Christians, people who put their their faith in Jesus, Christians are cleansed by the sacrifice of Christ. And so we rest in the fact 
that we are counted righteous in Christ, but we still struggle with temptation. And we even sometimes enter into sin. We're often even vulnerable, all of us, to particular sins, although each of us is prone to different particular sins. Some of us might be more prone toward uh, jealousy or covetousness or discontent. Others of us might be prone toward sins of racism or sexism or grouping people together so that I can look down on them. Others of us might be prone toward anger or a lack of patience and grace toward others. And I know all of us wrestle with the sins of lack of love. Sin is poisonous, and so we fight against it our whole lives by the grace of God, but even then we still often fail and enter into sin. The author is not saying here then that if we continue to struggle with sin in this life that we are apostate, otherwise we would all be apostates. So what does he mean then by this particular section? I think that the context tells us here that he's talking about a particular kind of deliberate ongoing sin. Which means that an apostate is not an apostate is not a Christian who has fallen into sin or is backsliding. Those things can be very dangerous, but that's not necessarily apostasy. We see that in, in people like Peter and King David in the Bible. An apostate is also not, not a Christian who wrestles with doubt or who has questions or who's going through a dark night of the soul. We see that in people like Naomi and Elijah and John the Baptist at various seasons. An apostate is also not every non-Christian. It's a particular kind. It's also not just a group of the really, really angry atheists, the ones who are, who are most radically opposed to, to God and religion. So what is an apostate? Here's the closest thing to a definition I can give us. An apostate is a person who has decidedly given up their former loyalty to Christ. An apostate is one who has decidedly given up former loyalty to Christ. The Greek word for, for a, that's translated in some Bibles, apostasy, is very similar to the word for divorce. So apostasy is like a divorce of Jesus. Uh, years ago, Derek Webb, boy, this is kind of old Christian music, but he was part, part of the, the Christian band Cademan's Call, if you're familiar with that, that band, 90s, I think even, it goes back. Uh, but Derek Webb was one of the singers in that band, and he made public some time ago that he is no longer a Christian. Um, and as part of that announcement, he released his own solo album called Fingers Crossed. And he called that particular album a deeply personal tale of two divorces. So the songs in his album, he sings about the divorce from his wife and the divorce from his faith. Divorce from faith is a fitting description of apostasy. An apostate is a person who has once been part 
of the visible church. We share prayers, pews, potlucks. We share pages of a hymn book, pages of the Bible. These are the ones in the words of the author of Hebrews who have received the knowledge of truth. These are the ones who have been enlightened. And yet in their life there has been a shift. These who once seemed to embrace the Son of God now trample him underfoot. Those who once seemed to honor Christ's blood of the covenant now profane it. Those who once seemed to follow the spirit of grace now are an outrage to him. And these words are really intense. You know, trample, profane, outrage, boy. It sounds like a person who's an apostate is really spiteful. Like they just want to take faith and, you know, grind it up into dust and, and, and spit on it. And, 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 well, I can't think of another awful thing, but something awful, you know. And this is sometimes true of apostates, that, that they want the worst, but not always. Not all apostates are like this. The word translated trample here literally means just to step on, to walk over it just like the seed that fell along the, the path is just stepped on and walked over. And the word translated profane here literally just means to treat as common, to see it as, as if there's nothing holy or special or sacred about it. So we see here that the person who's an apostate is not necessarily spitting on faith, but there's a split with their faith. So one way, just as a picture that I can think about it that helps me wrap my mind around this is imagine if I had my grandmother's pearl necklace. It's been passed on to me and I keep it in a special case in my room. And after a period of time and thinking about it, I just stopped caring about it and think that it's unimportant. It's just a bunch of rocks after all. What are pearls? And so I just toss it out the window. And, and maybe for a bit I might feel sad about it, might feel a small sense of loss about it, but I choose to leave that pearl necklace outside. Apostasy is deliberate, ongoing sin of rejecting the pearl of Christ a pearl that we once held. Now, having said all of that, I realize I need to address a very important question. Does this mean, preacher, does this mean that a person can lose their salvation in Jesus? The short answer is no. No. Christian at the root is not just someone who follows after Jesus. At the root, a Christian is one who has been born again. A Christian is born again, and we cannot become unborn in the spirit as a Christian any more than we can become unborn in the flesh as a human. But it is possible to look at someone and to even think that they are born again when they are not. John talks about this uh, very briefly, just a single verse here in 1 John chapter 2, 
Let me find it. Verse 19. Here's what he says. They, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they are not of us. In other words, they were once part of us in some sense. They were with us physically, but not really. And the fact that they have gone out from us, the fact that they've given up their loyalties shows that they were never really one of us to begin with, that they were never part of Christ at all. I don't say that in a trite way. It's simply what the scripture teaches. John here calls these particular people antichrists. He calls them antichrists here. The author of Hebrews calls these people adversaries. They've made themselves enemies of God. Even if they're really nice people. Even if they have respect for Christian beliefs. Even if they're super friendly. So Perhaps you heard this in the news recently. Um, Joshua Harris uh, is, a, is a popular, in some circles, popular Christian author who's been a pastor for 15 years. And uh, just a couple of weeks ago, he publicly announced that he is leaving the faith. Um, you can hear, I printed off his Instagram post. How modern is that, printing it off? But this is what he wrote, a part of it, on Instagram. He says this, I have undergone a massive shift in regard to my faith in Jesus. The popular phrase for this is deconstruction. The biblical phrase is falling away. By all the measurements that I have for defining a Christian, I am not a Christian. Many people tell me that there's a different way to practice faith and I want to remain open to this, but I'm not there now. To my Christian friends, I am grateful for your prayers. Don't take it personally if I don't immediately return calls. I can't join in your mourning. I don't view this moment negatively. I feel very much alive and awake and surprisingly hopeful. Now, on some level, I appreciate Joshua Harris's honesty. I suppose that's better than hypocrisy. And it sounds, uh, if we believe him, and I suppose I do, that he's content, glad even with his decision. But he has abandoned his loyalty to Christ. So this is the smiling face of apostasy. It would be appropriate for us to pray for him, to have conversation with him if we're able to. It, it would be appropriate to hold on to hope that this is just a very long season for him, that he might be like the prodigal son that in the end wraps around and comes back home. But if this is the road that he continues to choose, if this is ongoing for him, it leads to a fearful expectation of God's judgment because he has rejected Christ who is our sacrifice for sins. 
watching this man leave the faith reminds me of a couple of things. Uh, One, that we place our hope in Jesus. In Jesus, not in any Christian leader, not in another other follower, because if they fall away, Jesus will not. We hope in Jesus. And it also reminds me of something else. That apostasy is a very real possibility that we need to take very seriously. Because if this can happen to a pastor, then who is immune? Now, I said at the beginning of this that all of this was very personal and painful for me. Don't worry, I'm not leaving the faith. But I know people who are. And it is one thing to watch this happen to a celebrity, but it gets very raw when these are friends or family people that you know and love. I tried to get all this out before today. I remember uh, that one summer in college, I went to Alaska. It was as cool as it sounds. 30 guys from the South, which is the lower 48, 30 guys from the South uh, who love Jesus and want to serve Jesus, we got real close as we were serving Christ together in Juneau. And I remember at one point in our time together, one of the leaders gathered us all together. Gather up, fellas. I want you to look to your left. I want you to look to your right. And then with a very serious face, he said, statistics show that in a decade, one of the three of you will no longer be a follower of Jesus. Of course, all I can think in that moment is, it's not going to be me. (laughs) But then I looked to the guy on my right and my left, and I thought, I can't imagine that that would be you either. It's been a decade now. And over time, I have watched those words come true. People I love, not only in Alaska, but in many other spheres of life, I have watched them walk away from the faith. I have watched them abandon their former loyalty to Christ, and I have watched them toss out their grandmother's pearl necklace. I still hold to hope, still pray, but it hurts. I mourn the loss, it breaks my heart, and I shudder for their soul to think that if they continue in this way that they would fall into the hands of the living God in a way that would be a fearful thing. I hope that we feel the gravity of this because it is very grave. But I also don't want us to miss where the author wants us to focus. Because he's calling us here to take a look at ourselves. 
to watch for the grave danger that is apostasy. He calls out to us here in the loudest voice he can, and I join him, do not shrink back. Don't shrink back, but endure in the faith that you have been given. His is a fierce cry, but it's not desperate. He's not desperate here because he also, in the midst of this, has good reason to be hopeful. He also, in the midst of this cry, says, take a look at where you are and what God has done. I want you to look back, recall the days when you, as a body of believers, have faced real significant hardship, ridicule, suffering, and still, in the midst of that, you kept the faith. I want you to look ahead. I want you to look to the days when, when, when Jesus will come again and you have a better and abiding possession in him, a faith which has a great reward. And as you look back and you look ahead, also I want you to look around because you're not alone in this fight. There are many, many others who have not neglected meeting together that continue to encourage each other in love and worship of God that share struggles and faith but remind one another of the great value of the pearls that we hold. There's a great cloud of witnesses that are all pointing to Christ. We'll get a look at that next week. But until then, listen, don't shrink back. Do not apostatize. Do not abandon your loyalty to Jesus. But by his grace, endure. So that when you have done the will of God, you may have received what he has promised. Would you pray with me? Oh, Lord, the weight here is heavy. Would you help us in the midst of this to find a fitting fear? A fear that would not drive us to anxiety, but that would make us more faithful. Would you draw us close to you, increase our trust in you, and help us to serve and follow you? You're a faithful God, and we rest these things in your strong arms. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.